don't just hinge your whole view on this on like whether the black person in front of you can articulate it all. Because right. one, that's a lot of pressure for somebody. But two, it's like you're not ever going to get a whole, like the whole aspect of it. And that's where I think like you have to be curious. You have to think about it. And that's really what I want people to do, because if, if they do that, then I think they go search for the information that's already out there. Welcome into Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman, and my guest today is Andre Carlisle. He was my guest on the radio about a week ago, and we were having a conversation that started on Twitter, and we brought to the radio, and as we were having it, I was like, this ain't a radio conversation uh, for a number of reasons that we'll get into. Andre writes about soccer for Black and Red United, uh, soccer of all kinds on the world stage, men's, women's, everything. Um, he also happens to be, to me, one of the smartest guys I know in media, someone who thinks about social issues in a way that I really appreciate, someone who blends his journalism with his life experience in a way that tells a story that a lot of people um, haven't heard and thus need to hear. So with that, uh, Andre, I wanted to just kind of pick up uh, the conversation and, and really have a more frank version. Um, and, and I guess where I, I'd love to start is just the idea that we can have that here versus having it in a in kind of a mainstream, uh, if you will, outlet. And it just has to go with who's listening. And um, I, I'd first just like to ask you, like straight up, do you think that's a that this is a smart thing that we're doing or did we miss an opportunity to have a more frank conversation on the radio? Um, and ha- like, and that's something that, that maybe was a missed opportunity or something that I as the host should have done. Uh, no, I don't think it was a missed opportunity. Um, I, I, I do think that, you know, you did mention on the radio show that you kind of meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. And I do think that for a radio audience um, and this may be, this may be not giving them enough credit, but I kind of err on that side anyway. Yeah. Uh, for for especially when I don't know a group of people, um, and I don't necessarily know, you know, the the full audience of a of an ESPN station, but I can guess. Um, so I do think we started in a in a good place. I'm sure some people heard some things they didn't like, or maybe weren't, you know, or maybe hadn't thought of before. Uh, I don't want to start negatively, so maybe they yeah. just heard a different. No, I mean, I got. I only got one tweet saying that you called all uh, white people racist. So honestly, yes. if we only got one, that's like Progress. that's a pretty good day at the office. Progress. I, I probably got talking. more. The rest are just muted. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> that tends to happen, uh, and and it's just like, all right, man, if if that's where you are, I don't know how I can ever explain anything to you, and like a lot of this stuff is difficult because you are reliant and, you know, like me as a black person, us like the black community, you know, we we're I hate saying black community, but whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's not monolithic. Just, we get it. You know, I, I yeah. think if people are listening to this podcast and click on this conversation. Hopefully that's something that, that people understand, but I, I get what you mean. Yeah. It's, 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 it's different. So, you know, I just hope that, that enough people heard it to where they were peaked enough in their interest to be able to do something else, uh, to be able to look up something, to be able to like think about something differently. Cause that's really to me how it starts. And I think, you know, one of, one of the difficult parts for me is that in order to fix these problems, it requires like a lot of curiosity mm. and that's not something that is like taught here. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's also something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about is, there's there's this book that I read on communication, which I thought was excellent, um, called Crucial Conversations. It's it's pretty well known, and their whole idea 
is like finding common ground, obviously. And um, one of the concepts they talk about in the book is like the idea that if you're going to communicate with someone, they have to feel safe. And I've talked about that on uh, that concept from that book on this podcast before in a variety of different contexts. Um, but when it comes to conversations on race, like the minute you say anything, there's some people that shut down. And it's just, I, on one hand, I think that we've part of the reason we are where we are is because we've been way too kind to the feelings of white people. Um, at the same time, if we, and also this changes like whether I'm talking or you're talking, I think too, like my responsibility as a white person in this conversation to reach people who inherently you can't because they look at you and go, no, because they're racist, even if they don't want to admit it um, or don't realize it, like that's just part of the, the deal. So like, I'm also kind of combining some multiple things, but wanted to at least acknowledge it. But like the idea of, okay, ultimately, if we do want to change hearts and minds, like if, if the ultimate goal is to like have more constructive conversations and ultimately produce better outcomes because we need to change systems, like we can't always just go like, well, it's not our fault if we hurt white people's feelings, because at the end of the day, like those are the people we're trying to reach to. And I've never really come up with a good answer of how to balance that. Yeah, and there's not one. Um, I, <laughs> well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, the, and that's kind of the thing that I've had to, I, honestly, in my kind of growth and as I read uh, more, as I kind of get more involved or, or think about things a little deeper and try to figure out how to like affect any sort of change, it's impossible to do with thinking about white, white people's feelings. You You literally cannot, like you don't have to be, you know, and it, and it really depends on the, it really depends on the person, on the communicator at the time. I'm never going to tell black people to not express themselves the way they want to, because this frustration has been everlasting in in American life. And so like, we're going to say stuff and we may say it aggressively. We may be angry about it. We may be, you know, intense about it. We may be whatever somebody doesn't like about it. And that's just going to be what it is because that's exactly what it is. If you're somebody white, you maybe can take a different approach. But ultimately, like this, these are long lasting problems that have deep roots that are learned just living in American society. You know, you just whether you've been born here or whether you come in here, if you just follow along with American society, you're going to come up with some stuff that feels like you're going to follow some of the stuff that's been taught in America that American society teaches. And in order to deconstruct that, in order to fix that, people are going to have to be very uncomfortable. And when I say people, I mean white people. And so some black people, some people internalize it. So it's not specifically white people, but the majority, the vast majority is white people and white perspective because there's levels of comfort, there's levels of protection, there's levels of everything else. And there is really no pleasant way to combat all that stuff to say hey how are you doing um just about everything you think about race is wrong so let's like (laughs) (laughs) let's like have this kind of like that's never gonna like you can approach somebody that way but they're just gonna look at you like you're crazy and so to me it's been more so about getting people to trying to get people to a point i don't even know if i actually even try anymore if i'm honest i just kind of have my perspective and i say things that i say And I hope that if somebody is genuinely, and this is the hard part because it's really hard to tell when somebody's genuinely interested or whether they're being disingenuous by bringing up something that they think reframe or, you know, they try to do the gotcha, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it's like, all right, as soon as I recognize the gotcha is there, 
we're not having a, a conversation anymore because I'm not here to be gotcha. Like this is kind of like my life and we're not going to play games with it. So that's kind of how I come across, but it is difficult to try to have those conversations without being like, Hey, you're going to, you're not going to like this. <laughs> and that's yeah. why it's been so difficult because nobody really wants to go through something like that. Right. And I think that's why something like what happened this summer, um, and it really is the culmination. Like uh, it so often goes back to to George Floyd, and like it's the most obvious example. But I think even to a point, there was some some chipping away that was done um, with Ahmaud Arbery. Like the idea that I can I would go out for a jog and have to fear that someone's going to take me down in my neighborhood as a white dude. It's just like that's not that's not a thing that I got to worry about. Um, then obviously, Brown Taylor happens a couple weeks, a couple months later. I'm kind of in the middle. And the idea that she's at home sleeping in her own bed, and especially as more details came out about how horrendous that case was in terms of the, the it, it's an insult to good police work to call it police work. Um, and I don't think either of us are really a big fan of quote unquote good police work either in a lot of cases. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to, just to see how like insanely screwed up that that was. Um, and then obviously nobody, I mean, even the the worst of the worst are like yeah what happened to George Floyd was really bad um and obviously three people died in those individual cases and so in that way the humanity of it um and this is actually another like path into this and and this will eventually weave us into the soccer part of this conversation um but one of the things that can help is humanizing it to an individual story. And I think that's what happened over the summer versus this mat, like trying to tackle the mass systemic problems that you and I understand. And that a lot of people certainly at this point understand is actually less effective of a strategy because it feels so big and there's not humans attached to it. Then all of a sudden you're in the groups of like, okay, well, black people, this white people, this Latin people, this right now, you know, crimes against Asian Americans are up 19,000 or 1900%. And like, it's very different to, to stare at those big numbers and tribalize everybody because then your natural inclination, your human instinct is to retreat to your tribe. And if you don't have, if you haven't defined your tribe as like your group of friends, which is diverse, then like, you're just going to go back to being like, I'm a white person and I'm going to, I don't want to lose whatever grip I've got on my regular normality versus like, Oh man, what happened to that one individual? That was really bad. We should fix that. Yeah. And you know, I, I will admit that I really struggle with, with that. And, and it's, it's been the case in America for a long time ever really <laughs> that well, white people don't really ever pay attention until something so egregiously unjust happens like a black person dying. I wish somebody wouldn't have to lose their life. I wish some bodies would mm -hmm. not have to lose their life. I wish over the course of decades, we wouldn't have to continuously be targeted by police, be scared, be disenfranchised, be <laughs> oppressed, be economically, you know, held back. And like, I wish, I wish that this all wasn't the case. But it is. And it and even that is like a, an aspect of trauma and an aspect that just like straight up hurts. Like it hurts because you're like, I, I literally lit, I, I literally I literally have to be killed for perhaps someone white in the nation to be like, hey, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
I don't really want to be killed for like a couple people across the country to have an epiphany. Like I would much rather us be able to talk about the issues well before the next person dies, but we have never gotten to that point. And I also think that you see in, in America, you see that we don't like this stuff is rarely sustained, right? Like you'll have like what happened in the summer and you'll have people try to get involved any way they can. And they say the right things, you know, listen to black people and, you know, the people on Instagram are putting out their black squares. And I'm like, Oh, that, that helped. Um, So uh, (laughs) it's just like, and then months later, you know, we're not even talking about a year later. We're talking about just months later, all that momentum is gone because it almost comes out like it's a fad and then it gets popular and people join in because everybody's doing it. But unless we like stay in the streets and protest and unless we take like the latest victim of police brutality and shove them in your face with a video or a photo or, you know, graphic accounts of what happened to them, people don't continue to listen. And it's like, well, we didn't really change anything. So what do you really expect? You know, it's the same thing that caused the problems prior is still going on. So there are still people being targeted. There are still problems. Uh, there, there are still concerns. And so like, when do we, to me, the answer, the question is, when do we get to a point where we take some of this stuff and actually like do what actually really needs to be done in terms of changing systems? And that just is like, the eternal question. <laughs> right. And yeah. And I think that the longer that stuff goes, like the summer sustained longer than any previous time I can remember. Um, the yeah. closest was, you know, probably Ferguson or, or yeah. after Trayvon Martin's murder again, people dying is, yep. is, is always going to be the impetus. Um, unfortunately that's historically true. And, you know, it becomes that fad and then it, and it plays out and, I think that when that happens, there's actually like a, a dampening effect of like, okay, we look, well, we did our black squares and nothing changed. So why would I do that? Um, so there's, there's some element of that. I also, um, as you were talking there, I thought of the Michael Che bit. Um, I, I'm sure you're familiar with it um, where he's like, man, you're lucky. All we're saying is like matter, <laughs> like black lives matter. Not like black lives are equal, not black lives, not like, you know, we're not coming from revenge. Like we're not yeah. we're just, just like the acknowledgement that they, they matter. So there's, there's that element of it too, that like all of a sudden that gets weaponized in a, in a way that becomes political. And because of the tribal nature and polarized nature of our politics becomes a, this whole wedge issue when like, it seems like the easiest thing in the world to agree on that. Like, Hey, if your skin has more melanin in it, you're still a human. <laughs> Like it just, it just is the you most should not basic be shot by the police. Right. People justify your murder. Right. That, that's, you know, thanks. yeah. Um, but then you get to like, okay, the systemic change part and that gets into the whole politics side of it. And you know, if, <laughs> if we can't even get Congress to pass COVID relief where it would be like stuff that's polling at 70%, yeah. 60% amongst the minority party, that will literally positively affect everyone in the country. How are we supposed to do something that's already been weaponized in the way that police reform has? And you know that, and that's where like, I don't have the answer. Like Congress is so like, and it, it is very specific to federal politics in a lot of ways. I think the best way to affect it is at the local level where we've seen some changes around the country. And I, I think that's probably the best way to go about it um, in terms of the most 
effective way but the most efficient way would obviously be hey everyone's under new rules now at at the federal level and you can't get bipartisan support for anything at the federal level right now Um, right and so that's a problem that i have no idea how we solve yeah that's been what's so what's been so scary about you know i guess all of history in, in in american politics but especially like now because everything's a culture war even COVID is a culture roar now. Like we don't, we, we, every, every piece of anything that happens, somebody takes one side and then the other takes the, takes the other side. And it's regardless of facts, it's regardless of anything else. It's just, they attach it to some nebulous American ideal. Like, so wearing mat, not wearing a mask is now about American freedom, not about, you know, not killing the American right. next And the whole life, liberty, pursuit of happiness thing, life did come first. And you wearing a mask puts my life at risk. Just throwing that out there. Greg, yeah, Abbott, it's, fucking it's, idiot. It's, yeah, it's, it's very strange, but, but it's also very scary to me because like mm-hmm. this is, this should not be the case. You know, like we should be able to get to a point where a bunch of the country doesn't just believe something because we've like attached patriotism to it or some, some nebulous faux term. So faux definition of patriotism, right? Because I'm like, ultimately this is, this is, this has genuine serious consequence. And it's the same thing in this discussion. And and that's what scares me so much is that people look at it as it defines them and who they are as an American to believe something about black people that they don't deserve rights or that they complain too much or that they're responsible for their own. And it's like, no, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, I, I, I'm, I, we weren't taught, we don't have the greatest public education system in the world to where you can learn a whole lot about that. But the internet is, is accessible for most people. And we don't really, at least for now, cross our, cross my fingers and toes and all that. Uh, we don't now disagree that slavery actually like, happened <laughs> we might in a few years who knows but uh there's already we, some people being still, like yeah it wasn't that bad yeah i was gonna say that that seth john uh the dude at the, at the oh, u.s yeah. soccer meeting he he threw that out there and it was like oh that's the next that's the next phase of all this stuff and that's just that's just great <laughs> so yeah it's just it's hard because when people feel that engrossed to it when it's part of their personality part of their identity and makeup as a quote-unquote american I legit don't know what to do about that. I'm right. just like, ah, okay. So I like the best thing I can do is try to cancel out every single one of your votes. <laughs> That's really all right. I got. <laughs> right. And it's crazy how it always comes back to politics. Cause there's like, there's the politics side. And at this point it's like, yeah, we need to vote all of them out. Like every single yeah. one of them go bye. see it. Like there, there's gotta be consequences because at the ultimately they're chasing power. And if there's no power to be had by being a racist asshole, that'd be nice. That would change the power structure. But there's also obviously, you know, HR one and, and the for the people act and, and all these things that are trying to get done. If Joe Manchin and Kristen cinema don't kill them. <laughs> um, so there, there's like the systemic, but then there's also the, which this kind of leads us into the soccer part of this, right? Is, is the personal discussions. It's like the, okay, how do we start chipping away at the edges? How do we, especially we as white people, um, have conversations with family members that can pull them farther into an anti-racist worldview where it's, you know, it, it's not coming from evil it's coming from ignorance but the outcome is the same and so okay hey like i know you don't mean to do this but you're doing a thing that is bad can we 
explain why and correct that behavior. And, and maybe then they go teach a friend and they go teach a friend, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that to me is where sports can play a huge role. And where if, if people who you respect because of whatever they've accomplished in life, in this case, soccer are doing something are saying something that's like a family member going to them in some, or just someone in some way and being like, Hey, you should listen to me. Crystal Dunn is going to be able to reach more white people who are soccer fans than maybe even some of their own families. Uh, family members can reach them because of who she is and what she stands for. And, um, and frankly, the way she plays, um, people are going to respect greatness in that way. That is a weird, you know, secret door to the mind, but it exists. And so, um, I, I think if we, we fast forward to kind of where we are now with this, obviously one of the things that I wish I mentioned more, you know, poignantly on the radio is like, not only where, you know, the U S women's national team includes some of the people who, who knelt first, but like it included the first white player to kneel first. It, it's not just about crystal Dunn and, um, you know, Mitch purse and, and what is now a, a fairly, or a decent, I would say, collection of black players. There, there's a lot more. Lynn Williams, um, obviously, Katarina Macario is in this camp, but Megan Rapino was the first major athlete after Colin Kaepernick to kneel, and that's the, the fact that she was a part of this decision to no longer kneel. To me, spoke volumes as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's to me like kind of where we are. And I'm curious before I talk about like where I am in it in the context of all the things we just talked about, where where you've kind of come down and and where where your head is at with what is possible through soccer right now and how the latest decision to now no longer kneel for the anthem as a team affects all that. Yeah. So there are, there are a couple things that were interesting. Um, and I do think that I don't have any inside information into the decisions that were made, but if I kind of like look at it and, and see like who, you know, I know a bit of the history of it all, right? So Megan Rapino was the only one to kneel way back, you know, after Kaepernick started. And you do, there, there is an interview out there. I can't remember who does it. Maybe it's Forbes from somebody else. I'm sorry if I gave wrong credit to, to a different outlet. But Crystal Dunn was open yeah. about she wanted to kneel and couldn't. She felt like she couldn't. She felt like she didn't have the status or the standing on the team, that that was going to be the end of her national team career if she did. And there is a photo of Megan Rapido kneeling next to Crystal Dunn. And, you know, you can just, if you read those comments while looking at that photo, you see the tension, you see the frustration, you see a whole lot, you see privilege as well. Mm -hmm. And I think Megan Rapino is smart and good at recognizing her privilege and actually using it for something good, for a good, for good causes and understanding things. And people think she's just a seek, seeking attention. But for me, I appreciate that she did that. I appreciate that eventually Crystal Dunn got to the point where she felt like she could kneel alongside Megan Rapinoe and not have her position, her status in the team jeopardized. That's a good thing. When they decided to not, the way I look at that is possibly there are a couple ways to look at it, I think. And without knowing any like inside information, you know, we, we mentioned the soccer meetings earlier. Um, we do know, I do know that you know, they eventually ended up repealing that, that policy that right. forced team, uh, that forced the team to stand. Um, there's a possibility. I do think that they wanted to go ahead and make sure that they didn't inflame the situation any further and make sure that that policy was going to be removed because they didn't really know how the vote was going to go. 
I think they had an, an inclination, but maybe. So I don't know if in the future we'll see more. I know after the match, Crystal Dunn said that kneeling wasn't supposed to last forever. Um, so we'll see. Um, I could also see them just saying, you know, Megan Rapinoe taking the lead and saying, you know what? They have the Black Women's Player Collective. They're going to do a lot of things through that. That's going to be their activism. And people can follow that and, and, and join. My kind of like, and I love that. I do love that. I, I think the videos they're putting out are really important. I think uh, it's going to be very a very interesting project. I like a lot of the, the stuff that they put out about it so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm following it. I think the GoFundMe that they put out to help them uh, with all that has like been remarkably successful. And I just can't, I, I can't wait to see what they do to it. But my, oh, my thing is like, we've been talking about the goal to me is with, to affect changes that are long-term, you have to reach white people. And a lot of times if you, and this is even with like kneeling itself, you know, a lot of times, a lot of white people can compartmentalize that and say, oh, they're black they're They feel this differently than I do. And that's okay. That's their thing. And it's like, yeah, true. <laughs> it is a bit of a survival thing. It's a bit of a, you know, hey, wake up and pay attention thing. But it's not an exclusively black thing. It's when it comes down to it and, and we need to change, make changes so that we don't continue to have these problems. We need y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's just that that I guess that's kind of my only thing, like what is going to kind of replace that that need, because the videos will certainly do a lot of circulation online. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of a lot of white U.S. women's uh, national team soccer fans and just a lot of soccer fans and in, in, uh, in general will see it. And that's good. I'm not I don't want to minimize that, but a lot more people watch the watch the U.S. women's national team play games. And seeing activism like that right in front of your face sometimes is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes you think. I do think that kneeling, of course, is not. I, I do think that the definition of it changed a little bit. And I have had people come at me and, and say, like, oh, you just want them to kneel forever. And I'm like, well, no, the, the U.S. Women's National Team actually had kind of two things going on. They really want, did it for activism reasons. But it was also a unity thing. It's what they were trying to do. That's why the, all the track jackets had Black Lives Matter on them. Mm-hmm. They wanted to show as a team they were behind the cause, but they never could actually show that during the anthem unless everybody was standing. And to me, that stands out on its own. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it also does come down to an outcomes discussion, like you like you were saying. Like if the ultimate point here is to reach white people, and there's some white people that are going to um, that are immediately going to tune out to whatever else is said. If they see someone kneeling, like it's at least worth a discussion. If we're thinking like, what's the best outcome to say like, all right, well, is this actually being effective? And unfortunately, um, I think it got to a point where people were kind of like, they they, they made up their mind, right? Like I think when cap knelt, it made a whole lot of people go, well, wait a second. And I, myself included, cause I just never thought about it before. I didn't know the history of the Anthem. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know as much as I should have about guys like, uh, Mahmoud Raul, uh, oh man, what's his name? Uh, Raouf, uh, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Thank you. Uh, getting that right. Uh, who was in the 1980s, you know, protesting during the national Anthem. Yeah. And so like having 
that background, um, obviously we all, I think know about John Carlos and the, you know, what happened in Mexico city. Um, but cap caused a different discussion at this point. People are in their corners. Do I wish that it wasn't that way? Of course. But if we're just looking at the, the reality of the outcomes, it's at least worth reconsidering four years into this, five years into this, like, okay, are we being effective anymore? Are we actually hurting our cause? Um, and I think that what the players probably looked at was going like, all right, we have these other things. And to a point, like also the players who wouldn't get on board and kneel, like, okay, you say that there's other things you want to do, like show us then. If, if, if there's these other things, then let's go. Because I, at least intellectually, Andre, like I can understand a player, and this go for a white player or a black player, um, going... My teammates want me to kneel with them, but my brother is in the military and he thinks that the, the anthem is representative of that and he thinks it's disrespectful. So now I'm having to choose between my family and my teammate. I would tell that person, yeah, you're going to choose your teammate and use that as an opportunity to educate your brother. Um, that's how that should go. But it, that, right. that raw emotional feeling of feeling like you're in that bind if you don't have that deeper understanding is at least something that I know players were uncomfortable with. Um, so if all of a sudden now you take that away and you're like, all right, well, fine, then I want you to be with me on this thing that's trying to impact change. Maybe we're just at that point where this is actually better for the outcome because the, the statement, well, obviously we still have a zillion problems as we talked about for the first 20 minutes of this. Like maybe at this point, the best way, Maybe they're ahead of the game here. Maybe they did realize something that that some of the rest of us were were still hung up on on an old fight. Yeah, I think there there could be something to that. I mean, I do know that, and and obviously, you know, I I noted it too because I just I think one of the main things for me, especially with the U.S. Women's national team, is that I just felt bad for the black players. You know, yeah. they they tried to do the unity thing and that didn't work. <laughs> you had kneelers and standers and then it became a thing, you know, of course, online, of course, I wrote a couple articles about it. And I know that when you're like in a team environment, you don't really want to like, you know, uh, to use a terrible phrase, rock the boat or whatever, you know, a terrible mm -hmm. cliche, but you know, you, you want to make sure that, and obviously that team is ridiculous. That team is amazing. <laughs> that team has no chemistry problems whatsoever. They're, they're dominant and they're incredible to watch. But I can understand that, you know, I have no idea what conversations they were having in the locker rooms, but, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of guess, you know, after matches, you would see certain players who, who refused to kneel yet again, would get a lot, you know, they'd get even when I tweeted out something vague, you know, about it, like I wouldn't call out a player, people are doing it in my mentions, you know, adding Kelly O'Hara, adding mm -hmm. Emily Sonnet and Carly Lloyd, and I'm like, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell them not to because that's how they feel. But I know that that probably creates a little bit of a, you know, uh, creates a, a, a little bit of something where there was nothing. And really the, the genesis of that creation is them mm -hmm. themselves, right? right? Because they could rationalize it. They could, you know, they say they've been having quote unquote conversations. And my question to all of them is, okay, well, what's missing? What are you not hearing? That's not convincing you that this is a cause worthy of getting behind. And so for me, I think that since it happened and we don't really know what's coming next, what I think needs to happen is 
a lot of people need to have a lot of introspection about it. Because if you like we when we get away from something, everybody gets it right in hindsight, right? <laughs> like you'll right. find it, it's difficult now to get somebody to unless they're like overtly racist or ridiculous. Uh, they're not going to say like, yeah, Colin Kaepernick deserved to lose his job and his livelihood and his career in the prime of it for what he did. Nobody's really going to say that's true. They're going to say, yeah, that was bad. I mean, I think even Roger Goodell said, yeah. you know, that that was bad. Like even he's admitting and he was the central figure to the whole thing. Right. right? So like you, you have this change when people get beyond it. And I want to say for, for me in the way that I've been looking at this is don't wait for the hindsight. Think about it as it exists right now. During the She Believes Cup, Canada wore Black Lives Matter shirts and they knelt for their anthem. Every single Canadian player, black, white, whatever, coaches, assistants, everybody knelt. The question, I, and Canada is not some you know, anti-racist utopia. <laughs> I'm, not, right. I'm not saying that. I understand Canada has problems, but I think it is important to juxtapose what it is about America about whiteness in America and being white in America that made it so that was never a possibility. The only route to anything that looked like unity at all was everybody standing. That was it. That's all we ever mm. had. And I think that's important to dissect and to think about right now. And I, and I really want people to think about that aspect of it and to try to interrogate that and figure out what does that mean? Because there's definitely something there. And and this goes back to what we talked about before. How do you have these conversations without offending people? Well, if you get them to have the conversation with themselves, I think that's really the answer. Because if I answer that question and I have answers to that question, it's going to offend some white people who don't want to hear it. Yeah. But if you interrogate that question yourself and you say, OK, what is the difference? Why was Canada able to do this for every single match they had? They did it every single match. And the U.S. has never been able to do it once. Not in the summer, you know, after the summer, not in that. A uh, game that they played after Thanksgiving, not in the two matches in January against Columbia, not in She Believes Cup at all. It's never happened. Why is the question? Yeah. And I think to to hammer home final nail in, in the coffin you just laid is like when it finally became it, it went back to the status quo. Like when, the, when the unity was finally yeah. achieved, it went back to, to be more blunt, the white people. Yeah, I mean, it was unity the way, the only way that white Americans will allow it to exist. And I think the question is why? Why is that so? Yeah. Um, how much gray area is there here? Because I would think it would be fair to say that there are people who knelt and it was completely performative and they didn't do anything else and don't advance the cause other than kneeling, which is something to stay, to make that statement publicly is not nothing. I'm not right. diminishing that, which is why it's important to do. But if that's all you do, I would say there's, there's probably uh, plenty of room on your plate, fill up. Uh, by the same token, I think that there are players who probably didn't kneel that have made large impacts. Uh, in various ways or will make in large impacts in various ways. So how do you try to, or do you even try to, to process that? And how much gray area do we exist in here? I don't try to process it because my, my thing with all of that is you're free to tell us, <laughs> you're free to let us know what else you're doing. Um, you can, you know, I, I would love to know, you know, uh, the only thing that we've gotten and we haven't gotten a chance to talk to specific players, you know, COVID obviously has been weird. Mm -hmm. We get on Zooms to talk to the players after the matches 
and we have no control over who shows up in the Zoom. Even when we say, I believe we had, you know, um, in the the match that happened, <clears throat> excuse me, after Thanksgiving, we had, you know, we we had a a Slack where we could try to request players, and a lot of people were requesting, you know, I, I believe it was like. Uh, who was that? I think Julie Ertz, because she hasn't talked to the media in a long time. Uh, and, you know, some other players and we and, and it was just kind of ignored. You know, they chose whoever they wanted to choose. And obviously they're right. But if you without COVID, you have a mix zone. You can go ahead straight up to a player and ask them a question. Right. And that's what we're missing. And so we don't have a lot of those answers. But to me, a lot of the players have their own platforms as well and can talk about things that they're doing. And so to me. What I've found is, is has a lot of white, uh, the white Americans are very good at shirking these issues by using the same kind of language of the issue, right? So like early on, it was listen to black people and then people saying like, and I've been laughing at it, you know, kind of to myself and making jokes with people like we're having conversations, you know, that, that seems to be like the blanket thing to say to like push people off and not get them to ask anymore. Right. And to me the the cold conversations thing is like, well, that's still like depending on black people giving you emotional labor and you're like, I don't see fruits of that. Where are they? Like, you don't have to kneel, I suppose. Although I would interrogate, I would ask you to interrogate why you won't and why others right. can like Canada. Right. I would ask you to go through that process, but I would also ask you to say, like, what else are you doing then? What has motivated you? What is like, what, what is actually going on with you at the moment when you felt like these conversations are, are important enough to mention as a counter to some question or an answer to a question about it, but not important enough to like get into the results of them, what they meant to you, what you learned from them what you're doing as a result of them. I, I don't know. And I think that's, to me, I, I don't know if I necessarily see it as a gray area. I just see it as an area where, tell me, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, let me, let me know what else you're doing. Like, I would love to, I would love to know, you know, I, and, and don't tell me like, you know, you, 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 you know, did like a charity event for like underprivileged kids, inner city kids, like, all right, those are nice things to do, but I don't know how much that's like anti-racism work. That's just you being a familiar face and name doing charity, which not going to minimize all charity, but that's not necessarily helping to further the cause for like dismantling racist institutions and systems and confronting the white community in their racism, like, and being anti-racist yourself. You know, those are the things that I like, would love to hear from a lot of these players. And I really think that when you get down to it, it's probably because there's not a whole lot going on because there never really has to be <laughs> yeah. people. They, they kind of get, get through the interview by just giving these basic questions, these basic answers. And you're just kind of like, even, even, you know, th this is one of the other things and I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but no, this, this is, is another great. thing about soccer media being so white. And trying to change that as well. A lot of times people will get caught by like these, like they'll accept these answers, whether because they work for them or because they feel good because they at least asked a question or they got it in the article or whatever. They're good with it. 
sometimes it is a sinister, and I guess sinister is the wrong word, but sometimes it's just, it maybe ignorance a little bit of a better word, but it's just like, they don't know what else to say. And I will, I will say this in terms of white people and giving them a little bit of slack is that there is no real blueprint for this that has been laid out in like any national way, because America has done a very good job of teaching white people how to be one way. <laughs> then, and that's it. Like, there's nothing else. So you don't have a lot of like, people who you can look to and say that is a good person to emulate in terms of listening and being anti-racist and standing up for you know uh, disadvantaged communities for the black community and all that you don't really have that and so i will say that is a little difficult but what needs to happen is if soccer media gets to, gets a little bit, you know, more diverse, you know, more black people come in, more brown people come in, we kind of know the questions to ask. And we're really not going to be sold on, we're having conversations. Okay, well, what that like, that won't be enough. <laughs> the question is, okay, what are those conversations? What did you take from them? Um, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, I think it was, was it the, was it the US Open? What was it when Naomi Osaka was wearing her mask? Oh uh, um, yeah, US was Open that the 2020 year. US Open? Yeah, 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 yeah. She said something so great to me. And I like, I was sitting there watching, you know, after she won um, and I was sitting there watching it on my TV. Uh, and at the end, Tom Rinaldi was asking her, you know, what is the message that you wanted to send by wearing your mask, you know, throughout the tournament? And she asked him, what was the message you got? And I stood up, I stood up like it was a, like it was a point in the match. <laughs> like, I was like, that is it. That is it right there. It's not about what we're trying to say. What did you get? You talk to us about it. And I have seen even some NBA players have done that in, in Zoom calls. This, uh, this uh, I can't remember. Uh, I want to say it was maybe, I know, I don't want to give the wrong player the wrong credit. So I'm not going to say a name because I really don't remember who it was. But he kind of stopped, you know, the, the, when they asked him a question about it and said, I want to talk to you guys about it. I want to know what your guys' thoughts on it are. And that's really what it is. It's like you can put the microphone in front of, in front of Black people and ask them all day. That's that will help some. We need white people to talk about these things. And we need white people to tell us, what do you think? What did you get from some of this activism? What did you get from some like what are you learning and what are you going to do? And I think those are those are difficult questions, but they're so necessary. I'll wrap up with this then. Um, How many players do you think you could ask and they would have? I don't even say a good answer. Just an answer. <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough. That's a tough one. Um, I mean, if if we if if I'm allowing the we're having conversations. If I'm allowing, right? If I'm, well, allowing I'm, saying, those like, answers, I'm not counting that as an answer, right? <laughs> okay. Like, if we say that's not an answer, like, right. you get because I I've been in that situation um, on a variety of topics with a variety of players and a variety of sports where it's like, I hate this stupid press conference. I get one question. I got (laughs) to hand my mic. Like I want to sit down and I want to be able to hammer out and go down. And sometimes you get it. Sometimes you get that one-on-one and you have that opportunity to have that conversation. So let you get the interview, right? You Andre Carlisle is granted a 15 player interview series where he gets to sit down and and you get, let's do it. You get 20, (laughs) 25, 30 minutes. You get as long as you want to like, no, that's not really what I'm asking. And just keep asking the questions the way that you, you feel like they should be asked. And you're right. They, that's how they should be asked. Like, the what have you learned? What are you doing about it? Those kinds of questions. How many of them would actually be able to come up with an answer versus they would end in a place where they're like, 
oh shit, I have not. My conversations were not good enough. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. Not many, if I'm being honest. Um, and that's just, you know, I, 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 that's really just kind of going on, like knowing what some of the players are involved with off the pitch, um, knowing, knowing kind of what they, some, some background on things that they've done, things that they do. I don't know, you know, what, what every player has in mind to do in the future. I don't know things that are in the works, but I can kind of, you know, look back at processes, like things that they've done, um, in the past and kind of, especially like given this summer and how intense it was and how they responded to that. I think, unfortunately, very few. Uh, would have something concrete um, to say and to and to really have that conversation at any level of depth or interest. And I want that to be wrong, but I have to be honest <laughs> and say that that it's it's probably not too many. I think that you know there are certainly ones like you know, Becky Sauerbrunn does a great job. Uh, I think she is doing obviously she was just named camp captain of the team but i do think that she has kind of played that been playing that role for a while uh obviously i think megan rapino is important here uh i think tierna davison had a pretty decent answer when she was asked i know she's worked with sarah gordon's um who, who's on the chicago red stars i know she's worked uh with her a bit um pretty closely so there are a few to say, you know, if you're looking for, you know, if you're white out there and you're looking for people to emulate, because I mentioned earlier, there's not really a blueprint. I think you can check out those players. You know, obviously Megan Rapino is the main one, but I, I honestly think there are a lot more that would be like, next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, this, that's, it's not great. <laughs> this, yeah, no, it's this, not great. It's, uh, Never said this would be a happy podcast, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, but this is, I, I'm trying to end it. You, you can see, you can see them. Tell me, you can see I'm trying to end it on a happy note. <laughs> no, right, and that's the thing is like, cool. So here's here's like where we're at, right? Is if it's that defeating, then why try? And yeah. on on that level, you go back to the stakes because the alternative is to not try, and people keep dying. And that, well, see, that, that's, that's, that's the stakes. That's tough for me because that's fine for a lot of white people. Right. <laughs> like and what I was going to say, and that's a hell of a lot more real on your box on the Zoom than yeah. it is mine. Like, I'm acknowledging yeah. that. Yeah. The, the status quo has been just fine for so many for a long time in terms, of, in terms of white Americans. It's not great. So, I mean, the main thing that I, I will say is that the, the, I think the most positive way I can kind of wrap it up and like put a, put a decent positive spin on it is like, this is, this can and should be, and hopefully is the beginning of that discomfort. What comes after that is completely in white America's hands. You know, a lot of white players on the team, it's in their hands, you know, that's, that's, that's honestly what comes next. And so like, we've been through the discomfort, the players have been called out for not kneeling, not showing unity. Um, I think they should, like I said, I think they should think about that, why they couldn't and Canada could. I think there are a lot of things to think about. And I think there's a lot of discomfort that happened from that. And perhaps now it's time to sit with that discomfort to interrogate it and to figure out how they're going to respond to it. And I suppose time will tell. 
I don't want to look back and say, historically speaking, because then we'll be ending on a bad note. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, well, the first ever episode of this podcast was with Yates, uh, Clinton Yates, mm. and it was it was a, awesome. a conversation <laughs> about race, and um, at that point it was race and baseball. We were talking about those mm. those two things and where they yeah. interacted, but um, you know, Clinton has a saying that he's always told me, and he's like, "Talk to your people." And uh, yeah. if you're a white person listening, that's your responsibility. Talk to your people. Yeah. And uh, what, I, what I take out of this conversation is um, that includes yourself. That self-interrogation yeah. is a piece that I don't think I've thought nearly as much about. And um, I, I think that's a great takeaway that, that people can, can go, they can act on. But eventually that conversation, as you've said, has got to lead somewhere. Um, this was really insightful. I appreciate your time and uh, I appreciate the work that you do. And whether it's stuff like this or just breaking down a, how, how a ball worked its way up the field, cut some lines, and wound up in the back of the net. Thank you for having me. I'm re- and I'm really excited to talk about, you know, kind of both things. I'm, 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 I'm really happy right now because Chelsea, my, my, uh, <laughs> Chelsea just won a Champions League match against Atletico Madrid, so I'm probably in a much better mood than I would have been normally to have this conversation. So it all worked out. It worked out. <laughs> uh, you can follow Andre on Twitter at not underscore Carlisle. I get that right? Yes, sir. Beautiful. Follow him there. Uh, Great stuff. Read his stuff on Black and Red United. And uh, we'll see you next time here on Chasing Interesting.